Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Men come up with weird, strange philosophies and what is accepted in different cultures at different times is always changing. That ought not to be in the church. The same doctrines, the same gospel that was preached to the first century is the same gospel that we preach today. Men and their philosophies might change, but Jesus and His Word are steadfast and true. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The God of Moses, David, and the early church is our God today, never changing, always with us. With Hebrews 13, verses 8 through 14, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for our time that we can spend in the Word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We once again confess to you that we, we don't care what men have to say. We don't care about the philosophies of men. We don't care how men might try to take your Word and twist it and manipulate it to say something they want it to say. We want to know the truth and we want to approach your Word in such a way that we find out what the truth is. There is a reason that you gave us these things, and we want to find out what the reason is that they are given. We don't want to manipulate it to say what we want it to say. We want to know what you want to say, that we can know you, love you, follow you, and be obedient through your word. It changes us. We are literally changed by your word if our hearts are open to you. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is Alter Your Perspective, and that's kind of a double meaning, right? Alter your perspective, change your perspective, but you do that by an altar. We now turn in the book of Hebrews. He's come to this last section, a very practical section, a section on our character. What is our Christian character supposed to look like? And you remember that he begins in verse 1 of chapter 13 with this rapid-fire kind of direction as to how we're supposed to live. Let brotherly love continue. Don't forget the strangers. Remember prisoners. Honor your marriages, the marriage bed undefiled. Don't be covetous and remember those who rule over you. He's just kind of going through them. If you look at the first three that are there, it has to do with dealing with other people. Let love, brotherly love continue. Reach out to strangers. Don't forget prisoners. That's the way you interact with others. Philippians tells us that we are to put other people's interests above our own. And Jesus said, love others as you want to be loved. How do you want to be treated? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. You can't miss the mark. If you're loving others the way that you want to be loved, then you can't miss it. You're going to do, be doing daily what you are supposed to be doing. And then he goes to, to how you treat yourself. That is, what is it, your relationship with God? Your marriage? You married? Then your marriage needs to honor God. Let your marriage be strong. Don't play games with your marriage. Put those offenses away. Figure things out. Figure out the kind of things that need to be done so that your marriage can be one that shines for him. The marriage bed undefiled. Don't mess around with sexual sin. Battle against it. Get rid of it. It is destructive. What is it that the Proverbs tell us? That the man that goes by the door of the woman and she's enticing and bringing him in and the foolish man that sees and goes to her door does not know that he's going to death. 
It's not just physical death, I'm sure, that was talking about there as in venereal diseases and other things that couldn't be healed during their day. And there are venereal diseases that can't be healed during our day as well. But I think he's talking about spiritual death and the death of relationships and the death of respect. You know, he doesn't know that his children are going to learn about this and lose all respect for their father. He doesn't know that the wife may learn about it and it may very well be the death of a marriage. So your marriage bed undefiled and then covetous. Don't, don't be covetous. Be satisfied with what you have because we have Jesus. So whatever you've got, hey, Jesus is greater than anything you've got. So stop running around trying to get more stuff and get into a deeper relationship with God. And if more stuff comes, great. If it doesn't, great too. Paul said, I've learned to abound and I've learned to abase. I've learned to live with nothing. I've learned to live with everything. What matters is that I have Jesus in the midst of everything I've got. Well, now in this third section, as he's giving these rapid fire things out, he now turns to our spiritual lives. He first started with the lives of others. Then he went to how we interact with ourselves. And now he goes to how we interact with God. And as a foundation for how we interact with God, he makes this statement. This is a foundationary statement for the things that are going to follow. Here's the statement. Verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. God doesn't change. The idea is immutability. That's a theological term that means God doesn't change. Now that's good for us to know. It's good for us to know that God's not changing and he doesn't come and say, listen, I used to be good. I used to be abounding in goodness and abounding in kindness. I used to be merciful and gracious and I was looking for people to pour my mercy and my grace on, but I'm not anymore. I'm now mean. We're glad that God doesn't change, that the same God that we find that loved David and reached out to him and the same God that that reached out towards Daniel, the same God that was revealed to us in Jesus, being compassionate to the poor and the sick and caring about the sinners, the woman caught in the act of adultery, the tax collectors. He became friends of these people and he brought them into relationships uh, with himself is the same Jesus that we serve and follow today. I've said before that Christianity today looks more like the Pharisees than it looks like Jesus and that not ought to be the case because Jesus doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if that's the case, then you and I need to be believing the things Jesus taught because what he taught then are the same today because he doesn't change. And when the Holy Spirit has given the early church what it was that they were supposed to believe in the ideas of doctrines, belief, and theology, then that doctrine and belief in theology is going to be the same today. Man's philosophies change because men change. Ideas change. Men come up with weird, strange philosophies and what is accepted in different cultures at different times is always changing. That ought not to be in the church. The same doctrines, the same gospel that was preached to the first century is the same gospel that we preach today. And what you and I need that we can stay close to Jesus is already found in the pages of Scripture. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter that you have everything you need from God for life and godliness. Do you believe that? So the next time that you turn on your TV and there's some guy on there that says, I want to tell you uh, that God 
gave me something new last night. I was praying and God showed up and he told me that this was something new for you. It's something you've never heard before because it's a new special revelation to me. And he gives you some weird, bizarre kind of belief. And some of you might go, he's really nice and he quotes the scriptures. He's really good looking and he smiles so well. I'm just brought right in by his smile. And I think, how can he, what do you think? You think a false teacher is going to have horns on his head and red pajamas on? And a pitchfork? That they're going to come deceiving you, looking like they're deceptive individuals? I just want to come and bring you some new kind of destructive doctrine. Here I am. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Satan himself appears as an angel of light. How much more his ministers. That means that his ministers are going to show up with a smile on their face. They're going to be very pleasant. They're going to quote scriptures and you're going to go, they have to believe in God because look at them. I just like to look at them. They're so happy. They're so into it. They're just talking about enthusiasm. Don't you want to be enthusiastic? I want to talk to you today about enthusiasm. We really need to be enthusiastic people. How in the world is enthusiasm going to help me get closer to Jesus? Oh, don't be a hater, brother. You need to just, just, you just need to hang on to enthusiasm. What matters is not what they look like. What matters is not if they quote scripture because scripture can be twisted. What matters is, is what they're teaching true? Is what they're teaching, when you get down to the context of the passage, is it what was meant to those that it was written to? And if we stay true to the context and true to the scriptures and we don't allow someone, even Satan quoted scripture, right? Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. He says, we're up on the, this pinnacle. Go ahead and jump off because the Bible says that he's going to keep you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. But he left part of it out, which is what they do. That in all of your ways, if, as long as Jesus is walking in his ways, then God would take care of him. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He quoted scripture to Jesus over and over again, but it was a misquoting of scripture. It was using scripture for his own end. And you need to know that false teachers are going to do that. But they look so good. They're so centered on family. They know the Bible so well. And so Paul said, if anybody comes to you teaching anything to you that is different than what you have already heard, let them be accursed. But they're so good looking. They're so nice. They quote the Bible. They smile. Their teeth are so white. <laughs> and so he says, if anybody or an angel comes to you and teaches any other gospel, they are anathema. Since Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, and I like what Greg Laurie says. Greg Laurie says, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. What we need is the old gospel. That's what we need. 
What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose again as demonstrating his power over the grave. And if you invite Jesus into your life and you begin to live for him, receiving the forgiveness that he gave you, your life will never be the same. He will radically transform you and change you into a new person. I don't need to go out and write the new gospel or the new way or the, the you know, everybody's always interested in those things. And so he gives us the foundation for everything that's going to follow. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, verse 9, do not be carried away by various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established in grace. Do not be carried away by various and strange doctrines. There is a danger that is out in the world. And that is winds of doctrines are circulating around. There is the truth, and then there is various and strange doctrines. And being able to tell the difference between the truth and various and strange doctrines can be very difficult because the person appears as an angel of light, because he smiles a lot, because he's quoting the Bible, because he builds straw men and he tears them down. Do you know what that phrase means? He builds a straw man and then he kind of gives another position, but he gives that position weakly. And then he tears down that straw man, making himself look stronger. Professors that attack Christians do that all the time. In their classes, they build Christianity as a straw man. They don't really represent us, what we believe, but they represent something radically different. It's a straw man. And then they tear down the straw man. It's like them going after, straw man, Christianity, they tear up the straw man. And all the students go, yeah, Christianity is stupid. But when we ask, hey, can we come in our, the, the class and can we really present what we believe? When I've asked, when students have come to me and told they're being mocked and they're, they're teaching Christianity is what it's really not, I've said, go back to your professor and ask him if I can come in. Tell him I'm pastor. I've been pastor here for 30 years. That I want to come into the class and talk with the kids and really present Christianity as we believe it. No, no, they're not going to let me in. Over and over again, I've asked, and the professors are like, no, 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 we're not going to let that guy in here. What are you afraid of? You're afraid that I might present Christianity in such a way that it's no longer a straw man? That you're not going to be able just to tear it down? That it might actually make sense in the end? No, as long as you can build up a straw man to tear it down. That's what these various and false doctrines do. And they blow through. And all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's certain ones like wind, winds of doctrine, circuits. There's certain ones that have circuits. They come back around and around like Christians being demon-possessed. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. The Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It doesn't say greater is he that is in you than he that is in you. I was just talking to someone one time who believed that Christians could be demon-possessed. And he said, well, there's different compartments. And so God's in one compartment, the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Spirit. And now I guess you become the temple of a demonic spirit as well. And he's in another compartment. And he said, they're like apartments. They just live in different apartments. I said, do they ever cross in the hallway? I say, no, you're doing good. Jesus, how are you? Okay. Show me one place where Jesus talked about a Christian being demon possessed. One place. This is one. That's all I want. One. Show me one place where in the book of Acts, Living out the gospel in the book of Acts. Show me one place they had a demon-possessed Christian that was struggling with the sin of lust or struggling with the demon of ugliness or whatever it was that they had to have that demon cast out of them. Show me one place in the epistles, one place. There's a lot of epistles written. 
And they were written to churches on doctrine on how they were supposed to live. Show me one place where it says, if you're struggling with nicotine or alcohol or a bad habit or a sexual sin, then get a demon cast out of you because it's the demon making you do it. No place. But this doctrine around and around and around it goes. There was a guy named Derek Prince in the 70s. Any of you guys remember him? He had a deliverance ministry. That's what they called it, a deliverance ministry. And in this deliverance ministry, you would come to his deliverance. He would start to preach. And then he would start to preach against the demonic spirits that were in people. And then all of a sudden, people in the room would start to throw up. They would hand out little barf bags when you would enter the door. You're walking in to see Derek Prince and you're like, oh, thank you for my barf bag. Thank you for my barf bag. I really appreciate it. Can you have a couple of them? I just had a big meal. I need a couple of, I need a couple of barf bags. Now there they would go in and somebody in the room, sure enough, I mean, it was kind of like a setup. They handed out barf bags. So now he's preaching. And you demons in this room, you demon, you demon of lust, you demon of false doctrine, you demon of what mustaches, you demon of whatever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden somebody Bleh! would throw up into the bag. And then the person next to them would be like, Bleh! and all it would take is a couple of people, right? That's for me, right? We would have an old-fashioned barf-a-rama going on. And they're like, praise God, demons are being delivered from this place. Demon of the burrito or the demon of the pizza, but... Various and strange doctrines. But you know what breaks my heart? Is how many Christians buy into this stuff. A few years later, there was a guy named Anderson that wrote a book about Christians that did, he said Christians can't be demon-possessed, but what happens with Christians is that the demons latch on and that he had a special gift by God that he could see where the demons had latched on to people. So he would be like preaching and he would have people stand up, you stand up, and they would stand up because I see a demon attached to your shoulder. I'd see a demon attached to your arm. I see a demon attached to your or whatever it was that he saw the demon attached to. And so I call them Klingons. It was the doctrine of Klingons. <laughs> I see a demon clinging on. I let's get him off of there. Can I set my phaser on stun? Get that Klingon off of there. And, and you know, the thing is here, there's people in our church. They're hearing the word of God every week. We have this foundation of God's word being taught. And people are coming up to me and go, I read Anderson's book last week. And I think that I've got a Klingon of lust. And no wonder I can't get rid of it. And I'm like, there's no Klingon hanging on to you. I'm not saying Satan can't oppress you or try to oppress you, but where does this nonsense come from? Various and strange doctrines. And it sounds good. It's a good presentation. They're pre presenting themselves as angels of light. Now, Paul, when he left Ephesus, he'd been there for three years. He taught in the school of Tyrannius daily for two years. When he wrote the letter to the Ephesus, it's the highest doctrinal letter he ever wrote. It's the heights of the New Testament. It's, it's, it's the Mount Everest of the New Testament. You want to read about the deep things of God? Then do an in-depth study on the book of Ephesians. It's phenomenal. It really is. It's powerful. And um, Paul, when he left Ephesus, he gathered together the elders. These were the pastors he was leaving in charge. And he wept. He cried. Because he said, I know when I go, ravenous wolves are going to feed on the flock. They're going to see you guys and ravenous wolves are going to come. And in order for the ravenous wolves, these are guys from the outside. These are guys that want to bring their weird doctrines in. Pastors got to be on their game. They need to see when the ravenous wolves make their way in and they need to get them out because they can come in and feed on the flock. We try to do that. When we see somebody coming in, bringing various and strange doctrines or taking advantage of the flock or trying to fleece the flock, and we try to remove them as soon as we can. 
And people say, well, you're not really walking in love because you removed them. No, we're walking in love towards the sheep because that's what we are as shepherds, right? We aren't walking in love towards the wolf. We're whacking the wolf, walking in love towards the sheep. And if we could see the wolf repent, more power to it. That's great. But our first goal is to keep the sheep protected from those things. But then he said this, but also in your presence, men are going to rise up to draw attention to themselves. These are opportunists. These are men with ambition that are in the body already. And these are more dangerous than those wolves that come from outside because they're easy to see. These are guys that rise up within the body. And we've had that happen a couple of times. We had an assistant pastor in our church. It was years ago now, but he rose up and he began to get involved in this weird doctrine that when a boy hits 13, he's a man and that a girl is never really a woman. She's either got to live under her father or she's got to live to who, who she gets married to and she doesn't really have these rights that are out there and that a woman's significance in front of God is having children and, and if you don't have children and a bunch of children, then you're really not serving God at all because the command was given in Genesis to populate the earth and if you're not populating the earth, you aren't doing what God's doing. And they're talking Calvary doesn't teach this and Calvary doesn't take a stand and, and Calvary doesn't really believe that, that boys are men at 13. They started talking like that. And when we got a hold of it, and this is a guy from our fellowship, this is a pastor that's on staff and 30 or 40 people kind of started to believe him and follow him. And when we found out about it and I told him, you're, you think your son's a man at 13? You're gonna let him go out and make man? I said, I said you're crazy. I said, that's about as whack as it gets. He smiled at me the whole time I'm telling him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think your daughter can never go out and live on her own? Nope, nope. She's either going to live with me or her husband. She can never go out on her own. You know, that's whack, don't you? Yep. <laughs> well, after we finally removed him, and unfortunately about 30 people left to go with him, and he thought that I was upset that people left the church. So when I saw him later on, I saw him in a movie. There was a Christian movie that was playing, and me and my daughter went, and I saw him, and I ran into him up at the concession stand, and he said to me, listen, I just want you to know there's only a handful of people from Calvary that go to our church, and so it's no big deal. And I said, I tried to explain to him, I don't care about the numbers of people that go. If you guys want to go start a real solid church, or if some of you want to go out and start a real solid church, more power to you. I'm happy. You're going to stay true to the Word of God. I said, I care about the people that left that are now involved in these bizarre doctrines. It's a shepherd that cares that his sheep have now been fleeced. That's what I care about. But he didn't have that. He thought that I just cared about the fact that people left. And of course, he went down the street, right? Of course, he found himself two or three blocks down the road. He isn't going to leave and go across town. God told me to start a church down the street. Well, of course he did. <laughs> Why would he tell you anything different than to start one down the street where you can continue to try to feed on the, the flock that's there? So we need to watch for those that rise up among us that are just opportunists that are trying to fleece the flock. The way we do that and the way that could have been cut off completely is that we don't get caught up by various and strange doctrines. That when you hear somebody say something that's bizarre and weird, like a woman only finds her self-worth in having babies, really? What about a woman that can't have a baby? She now have no self-worth? Women only find spiritual self-worth in having babies? Now you guys know how I feel, don't you? There's absolutely no question in how I feel. A woman finds her self-worth in Jesus Christ just like a man finds his self-worth. It's in Jesus Christ. Now, there's all kinds of other various and strange doctrines that are out there. 
We need to avoid them. The only way we can avoid them is knowing what the Bible says, knowing them in their context. The Bible is not going to teach radically different messages from the context of what it was taught in. You wanna know when you're studying a passage, who was it written to, why did he write it, what did it mean to them? And what it meant to the Hebrews is not gonna be radically different to what he means to us by the same passage. That's how people twist scriptures like Satan did. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.